Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? things where it's like final draft will not let you uh, restart your computer i'm like fuck you final draft what did what? you ever do for me <laughs> i have final draft writer duet they're all they're all plotting against me but what is what is what does final draft have to do with your camera working on this okay, so, so in order to to be okay the bottom line is i need a new computer Okay, let's yeah. so start there. Second, mm-hmm. okay, that's the first level of problems. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's like the deepest level. And then we, if we go up a little bit into the level of problems, it is that final draft uh, that my camera, in order to use my camera, sometimes I have to restart my computer because it's so old, right? Oh, right. So yeah. I need to restart. <laughs> that's but like something... me. You know, <laughs> if I want to do any one thing in the morning, I got to yeah. really rev my engine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So like, I'm like, okay, well, in order to restart the computer, it's like not letting me restart it because final draft is just because probably final draft is so um, advanced and my computer is so jacked. Totally. And that's how they get you, man. I feel like they all conspire to be like, okay, well, let's make it so this will work on this version. So then they'll, yeah. So anyway, I see you, you look great. I look like shit. So it's probably better. My camera's off. I like, okay. (laughs) um so a couple things i have i keep forgetting to ask you on here about how did how did it come to be that you were chatting in the parking lot with adam horowitz about your dog's vulva oh we never talked about that we did not okay so i roll up so my dog Joris, who everyone knows that listens to the podcast, and by everyone I mean whoever listens to the podcast, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So um, hopefully it's growing and growing. Listen and rate the podcast. Anyway, yeah. the point is, I I roll up to the vet, which I do oh about every other week because my dog is a very <laughs> high maintenance, and so she's just so she uh, of course had an ear infection because she has these huge ears that collect all this bacteria. Great. Yeah. So I roll up and there's and I and because it's COVID and. Every everything you have to park you know outside and wait but because it's LA all the windows are down in everyone's car and there's this dude sitting in his Kia his electric Kia um oh a Kia that that's yeah I know okay I know I did not recognize this human being this he looked like my husband like 50s gray maybe had glasses on I mean, why would you like all our knowledge of them is when they were so, so young. Right. Right. So young. And I like, didn't, you know, keep up with the beast voice. So it was like, I had other things to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, I was doing other things. So, um, I'm like trying to corral Doris out of the car. She's crazy. She's trying to get out. She loves the vet. The backdrop is my dog. She loves the vet. Oh my God. She races towards the vet with a fury that is unmatched. Loves it. I don't never know. once heard of this in my entire yeah. life. Wow. So she's really, really excited about the vet. So she's uh, extra crazy. And I get her out of the carrier to let her sniff around in the parking lot. And I see this gentleman who is the interesting thing about him is that 
his leg is out the window. Like he's like resting his leg. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird for a, like an older dude, but oh, yeah. whatever. It's, it's LA. Like, you it's know, a, you that's what I was going to say. I, I imagine that kind of thing happens in LA. Yeah. And plus he's probably wait, been waiting and waiting for his dog forever. And so, cause you, you have to wait out there. Like they don't want you right. to leave in case they need you and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Fine. So I, and I say, and he says, Oh, uh, cute dog and i'm like oh she's a pain in the ass and then um he's like what's her name and i'm like oh her name is doris and he's like oh that was my mom's name and i was like oh that's interesting and and then we talked about the origin of doris because it's from a jim croce song and jim croce is someone my husband adores the singer the folk singer yeah died when he was 29 looked like he was about 60 when he died like he was 29 yes Yes. (laughs) you know he looks like david abcali if you ever look at yeah. pictures of him, there's like a whole. I yeah, see anyway, it. I see it. Yeah, but just bringing it back to the old theater school. Appreciate and um, it. so, so yeah, and so he's like, we talk about Jim Croce, and he's like, Jim Croce is the first person I remember dying. I had that album, and I said, yeah, and he said, that's in a Jim Croce song, and I said, yes, um, Leroy Brown, um, Friday about a week ago, um, Leroy shooting dice, and at the end of the bar sat a girl named Doris, and ooh, that girl looked nice, and that's why we okay. named Doris Doris. Oh, okay. He's like, I don't remember Doris being in that song, so we get into that, right? Okay, and then he. I'm like, oh, is your dog okay? And he's like, well, she 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 got a cut on her neck. And I'm like, oh shit. And I'm like, she was in a knife fight in a bar. Well, I was like, how did that happen? And he goes, I don't know, but like, you know, since I'm not a doctor, I figured I'd take bring her to the vet. I'm like, good plan, my friend. Good plan. So he's like, I'm waiting for her. I've been waiting for her. And I'm like, okay. And then he said, What's wrong with your dog? And I said, Oh my God, what isn't wrong with my dog? And I said, "Um, my dog has uh, dermatitis of the vulva and an ear infection. And he's like, Wait, what? And I'm like, Yeah, she just she's out she's got a lot of allergies because she's a frenchie and i did this to myself by getting a frenchie but like yeah she's got and he said that his dog was really licking her butthole and had dermatitis <laughs> of the butthole and i was like it's the same i heard of my friend morgan has a frenchie who has dermatitis of the butthole because all frenchie owners talk about these things and he's like oh well my dog has dermatitis of the butthole i'm like well mine's got dermatitis of the vulva they both have they both have like private parts itching right yes and right then- and so then we started talking and we talked about a lot of things because you have to wait forever. And then, um, right. and so we talk and talk and talk and no clue who this person is. And he's like, at any point, did you say, cause there's <laughs> something about that voice? No, no. Okay. Because he was kind of mumbly and also, uh, just looked so not screaming sabotage no not screaming and also not jumping around and not with his other two cohort and then i just i felt like anyway it just didn't cross my mind and his shoelaces were untied i don't know it was like a real casual situation and he was in ikea honestly i would never assume somebody in ikea is famous person that's my snobbery but i wouldn't yeah, I mean, I, it was a very, very, very nice Kia, but it's still, it was a Kia. I said, do you like, oh, then we started talking about cars. I mean, we talked about kids, cars, Manhattan. And then he said, I'm from, I said, oh, I'm from Chicago. And he said, I'm from Manhattan. And I said, oh, I said, oh my God. I launched into this thing about how I could never live in New York because I was like too, un, like the most unhip, like fat and ugly human. And like, not in a bad way, but just like kind of like, I'm so, I just feel like I didn't know what the 
fuck was going on ever in New York. Right. Like, I didn't know which way to go, who to talk to, where to turn. I was lost. And he's like, yeah, you know what I like about LA? He's like, nothing ever happens here. <laughs> Is that like, true? Well, no, but I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I mean, he's just like, New York, like you have to, like a million things are always happening at any given time. That's true. It's a and lot I, to like, you have to do a lot of processing living right. in New York. You're take you're, you know, you're just taking in no, yeah. so much information. No, all that the time. does. And that does not happen in LA. Okay. In LA, you're like sometimes starved for like information. Right. You know right, I mean? right, right. But we talked about that. And then, um, and then by like end of conversation, almost, I was like, oh, I'm Jen. I'm so sorry. And he was like, oh, I'm Adam. And I was like, okay, still no, I had right. no. Of course, yeah, Adam, common name common name whatever and mom named doris whatever like okay and then we started talking he said his wife what do you say oh they bought a house in south pasadena anyway all this stuff he has a kid and at the end i said he we were talking about what we what we do and i'm like oh i'm a, i'm a writer and I'm, I'm like trying to write tv but i also consult i just started this business but i was a you know i was a therapist and for felons and like and then he got really into that and then i said oh what do you do and he's like oh i was i think he said i was in the i'm in the music business i said oh that's cool i thought he was like a producer or like maybe a classical composer or something uh -huh. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Sure. That's where my mind went. And I'm like, oh, like, what do you do? And then he said, I was in, and I said, oh, what kind of music? He's like, I was in a rap trio. And I was like, wait a minute, a rap trio? And Doris, by this, by this time, is like biting me. You know, it's like a whole, I'm like, oh, yeah. a rap trio. And I couldn't, I the only rap trio I could think of was Run DMC. And I'm like, oh, right. he's not in that. Right, right. You know, he's a white dude. There's no way. And I'm like, a rap trio. And I was like, House of Pain, Cypress Hill. Like, I couldn't get it together. <laughs> and then I was like, and then it dawned on me. And I, I said, oh. And he said something like, I said, I don't remember how it came up. But he's like, oh, I'm Adam Horowitz. And I was like, oh. I was like, of course. I said, oh, my God. And then I didn't know what to say. So I just said, because he just moved. He, actually, he moved to South Pasadena way before I moved to Pasadena. But I said, welcome to Pasadena. <laughs> right, right, right. Because the minute you know it's a celebrity, it's like it changes yeah. the, the ions. Wait, and so was like, thank you. You Welcome to you, too. <laughs> so I, what I think is so interesting and mu must be so, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's annoying or whatever it is celebrities you they must have to always be in a process of deciding with yes. when they're interacting with people they don't know what are we going to do with this fact like right. do you know who i am do you not know who i am if you know who i am just what is that is that why you're talking to me right and then but he opened one of the first things you said that he said was that his mom's name was, yeah. I mean, I guess that's not unusual, but I was thinking to myself, when you said that, I was thinking, oh, was he hoping I don't know. that would confirm? Yeah, not that, not yeah. that, that, his dad is famous. His dad is Israel Horowitz. Israel Horowitz. Yeah, right? yeah. He's a kind of a terrible guy though. Oh, Sorry I, heard, to say I think they're both dead. I mean, from what I got. Oh, okay. Or, I okay. don't know. I know he has a sister. I, I don't know, but like, he seems like the kind, yes, you're right. Like it must be so weird. And also, I literally was so into my own world. It's like so Los Angeles like that I, when I found out that he was, I was super excited because I wanted to say, oh, I, I saw you at the Metro in Chicago and, and stuff like that. But then I was like, oh, I can't. And so I got excited, but I also, it was literally like talking to your husband or my husband in that they're old people. 
like right. Right. I wanted to be more excited about the 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 youthful version. Right. You want it to be 19 year old you yes. meeting Israel Hart. I mean, like Adam Hart and being like, let's go on a date or something. But that is not what I, that was not my <laughs> inclination this time. And also his, he's married to this amazing punk hero, Kathleen Hanna from Bikini Kill, oh. who, who I adore. And I know that, but I didn't bring that up either. But anyway, the point is we exchanged information because um, we were like, let's walk our dogs. His dog is terrible. Terry, a really hairy dog, little girl dog named Terry. And I said, well, what kind of dog is Terry? And he goes, I don't know. Very hairy. And I was like, okay, well, okay. So we may go on a dog walking adventure. I have no idea, but the, he, lovely human, but just like soup, we are super middle age. This is what yeah. the whole moral yeah. of this thing was actually not uh, the celebrity part of it was the, the what hit me the most, Gina, was the middle agedness of it all. So right. the other thing is like nobody gives a shit now about the things that we give a shit about. So the BC boys, right. nobody cares. Right. Like I was talking to my niece. She didn't know who that was. And so I was like, oh, right. Meaning I still care who they are, but. Right. It, yeah. Time moves on. Time fucking Time marches, marches on. on. Yeah. Period. When you have kids periodically, they'll come up to you and they'll oh, be like, have you ever heard of this band? Or like my son was listening to something and I'm like, and he, I go, he goes, oh, I got to play this song for you. It's this band. This is like obscure band or something like that. It was the cure. I go, are oh you kidding God. me, dude? I, I put white oh face God. makeup on and wore black oh and trying to hang my head down low <laughs> two years in junior high i know who the cure is okay so that was one thing and then the other thing was last time he was I super think- nice though i gotta say okay, if anybody good. cares he good. was not a dickhead i care yeah that's nice i'm happy okay, to good. hear that but just okay. one last thing about that whole like being a celebrity you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't because on the one hand you, you could have somebody say oh it's like pretentious to not say who you are and on the other hand people would say you know you can't win you can't you can't win that is the bottom line yeah yeah so uh the other thing was last time we talked you said oh i want to save it for the podcast but about Mm -hmm. showcase so you were talking about getting your kids ready for showcase okay so here's the deal with that so i because of this podcast i'm like okay is there a way to make a showcase not the shit show that I feel it was? Yeah. Now, it might, there might not be. It might be inherent in the thing. Okay, but so I'm teaching fourth year. I like basically don't even, I, I don't know what I'm teaching at this point, but I'm not even teaching anymore. I'm done. And my 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 uh, co-teacher took over. Okay. But I started noticing, as I always do, that the, that the students are like, you know, crazy um nervous about the showcase and also crazy nervous about agents and managers and all the things now there is no showcase in la there was only a quote meet and greet there is no showcase in new york there was only quote a meet and greet look it gets weirder in chicago there is a live showcase and a meet and greet now i don't know what went down but the bottom line is the ball has been dropped so many times about this showcase and about graduation and about launching that at this point, the ball is just dead in a heap 
deflated. Okay. So I said, okay, well, what can I do to make this fucking situation better? Because I know what it's like to be there and be like, oh my God, I'm falling behind. What if, so then I'm like, okay, everybody, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I am going to email everyone I know in LA and everywhere and say, come to this showcase and watch your digital link. They have a virtual showcase. But the problem with that is nobody, if nobody gets, sees it, it doesn't matter. And so it was made in a form beans where it looked like spam. So it went to everybody's spam. So no casting directors and no agents got the fucking link. And I realized that because I told a student of mine, I said, listen, you want to be repped by this one agency? Let's create a letter to them. Let's pitch them. And so then I get a call from the agent saying, we loved this letter. Also, thank you for including, we didn't think there was a showcase. Oh my gosh. And I said, what? Is what? This, does this have to do with just the fact that like, there's been all this administrative turnover? I, I think it's COVID meets the problem with conservatories, which is that they do not think that launching their students is an important part, part of, of their job. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So it falls to nobody. And so the person in charge bless her heart is one marketing person that knows nothing. I don't believe about acting or the entertainment industry at all. There is no Jane Alderman there. There is no, so at least, so I stepped in to be like the proxy Jane Alderman with another adjunct. And we were like, okay, well, how do we do this? So I am happy to say that after literally making maybe 43 phone calls, everyone has the link. People are coming to the showcases. Now my thing is to do, the, the meet and greet in LA to try to get people there because these, these kiddos are coming to LA. There is no showcase. So I'm like, well, we, what are we doing? Like we have to have something like, so, and I also just, you know, and I know these kids, like these are my students. So like, I want to meet them. And then, so now I'm getting everyone I know to come to the meet and greet in the business. And is this a money like, thing? Like they're like, oh, well we have, we can do it online. And so we don't have to pay for, to I, rent I the space know. for, Gina, they wouldn't even tell me, they wouldn't even tell me, they didn't even want to give me the invite to the LA thing. I had to like fight to get the, I don't understand what is going on, but I was like, listen. All right, DePaul, I'm going to tell you something right now, DePaul. You want to be well regarded. You want to be number one. You want to always talk about your, your alum or even not your alum, people who, who went and got kicked out. Um, about their great successes and you don't, but you don't want to do anything to get there. And that is not how it works. How it works no. is you put a lot of energy and effort. I'm not yep. saying to, at the expense of teachers or whatever, but you put a lot of energy and effort into yep. not just hyping your students, but hyping your school. Like it should be that your school is saying, have we got a crew for you? Yes. And which is what I then stepped in and had to do and be like, these kids are dope. Come see this, look at this link and then come to the thing. And so all the casting and agents in Chicago are now coming. Thank God. Because guess who? There was one person RSVP'd. (laughs) 
Girl, and you need a bonus for so this. Here's what we're doing. So then I said, okay, because I'm always thinking, I'm like, okay, well, here's what I'm doing. I'm developing a launching curriculum, which I think I've told you about. Like I'm developing a day one BFA for day one of the fourth year. Here's what we're going to do to launch you. And it's not just about the showcase. It's about mentorship. It's about how can we hook you up with somebody that's in what you want to do? How can we do that? And I'm going to pitch it. And I'm going to say, here, you pay me $120,000 and I will sell you this program and and hook you up with teachers and people I know that can step in and do this with me like you like people in the business like people who are on different coasts like duh and then we will so and if you don't want to buy it to Paul Theater School we're selling it to Northwestern or NYU or any anyone well I was going to ask do you know if other conservatories are doing showcases and doing they are and they are Mm -hmm. and they are doing it and they are they are doing it. Uh, I, uh, from what I can see, Gina, they're doing it better. I don't know if it's, you know, how good it is, but I do know that like other showcases released their digital showcase because of the pandemic on actors access and, and talent and casting networks, which DePaul did not do. Oh my like, God. What the fuck is wrong with you? Ugh. So here's, so that is not okay with me because, um, I went there and I, I do care about it because of this podcast. I also know that these kids having watched them at, you know, 21 year olds, 22 year olds, max, uh, they are busting their ass just like you and I were busting our ass like look they're busting their ass more than we were but you and I busted our ass too and I feel like we didn't get what we needed from the launch process and um what what will happen is no one will people and people stop going to theater school is that what you want or do you want to upgrade like level the fuck up hey let me run this by you Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So the thing I wanted to run by you is about storytelling. Um, I signed up for this workshop in my town. We have a little community theater and they sometimes have little workshops and I did improv there one time. And actually, by the way, doing improv there, I, I'm, I still am terrified of it and I still don't feel like I'm, I do well, but at it, but I reduced my fear somewhat nice. by just engaging with it. And then we had a performance and my whole family came and yeah, it was, yeah. When was this? And why don't we talk about it? Was it, it was three, two, like two years ago or oh. three years ago. Actually, yeah, three or maybe even four years ago now. But anyway, on Sunday, I went to, they, ha- they had a, a workshop led by a storyteller from The Moth. Oh, and yeah. she taught us, you know, a, a, how to... So there was only five of us there. One person, only one person absolutely knew when he came in exactly what story he wanted to tell. The rest of us were like, I have certain things that are you know, coming to mind. Of course, my thing, and I said, I was, I just owned it from the beginning was I've written essays and I've, you know, written a lot about my life. And yet I somehow feel like I don't have a story to tell. And she said, that's so common. Uh, She was telling this great story about somebody um, because she does corporate stuff too. Mm -hmm. She was telling the story about somebody in a workshop, in a corporate workshop um, who just kept saying, "I, I I don't have a story. I don't have a story. The day goes on and he goes, well, I might have something. 
um, my family and I fled Vietnam right before the. <laughs> it's like uh... and she goes yeah that that's a story that's a that's a story you could tell anyway point being um we're putting these stories together and we're gonna perform them on friday oh my gosh and the i'll say there is something about the process of working on it that has been it's not exactly healing because this is not a wound for me at all um it's something I'm telling a story about when I lived um, in that apartment on Lil mm-hmm. and uh, Libby got me this job at the bakery. And while we were, and she was very assiduous about being to work on time. And oh, right. You know, I remember the, was it the red hen? Oh, we shouldn't say it out loud. I Actually, I really don't remember the name. Okay. I think okay. it might have been called Great Plains. I don't know. If, okay. I don't think it's there anymore. Um, and one of the things that was our task was to deal with the mice that inevitably came into the in the flower sacks and stuff like that in the back. Yeah. And but it, I never. She said to me, like, "We have to deal with the mice," but I somehow I hadn't really really thought that through. And the way we were meant to deal with the mice was hit them over the head with a shovel. Oh, so so murder the mice. <laughs> murder the mice. And so my story is about watching this five-foot-tall, gorgeous little just... I mean, she looks like a bird, this girl. Woman now, but she was a girl then. Um, just swinging this shovel over her head and bringing it down. And then just very like with, with zero expression, taking paper towels and picking it up and throwing the trash, washing her hands and making it back to the register in time for the next customer who came in. And my point of it, of the story is that's, that was one of my most important lessons about the difference between being poor and being broke because I was broke you know, and always looking for jobs and always working through school. But if it came to smashing a mouse over the head with a a shovel, I was going to quit that job and go, you know, find another job selling clothes at Express. But Libby did not have such luxuries. She had to take the jobs that she could get and she had to guard them with her life because as even, even with the, the amount of time she worked, there was a period of time where she would tell me like, I'm going to bed hungry a lot of nights and I couldn't help her, you know, because I was broke. I just, I didn't have a, a, we bought ramen. I mean, we ate ramen like six days a week. Um, And so it's about that. And so there's something about, but, but the fact that it's about this epoch in my life yeah. Which I haven't really written that much about. I've written oh. about my childhood and I've written about things that are more contemporary, but you have a lot of experience with storytelling and oh. I'm curious to know what role that has played in sort of, you know, for one thing, the ability to string together kind of the events of your life into a cohesive narrative, if, if, it, mm. if that's something mm. that has been helpful, or if yeah. maybe you have healed in some way, maybe from your one person show. I am Gina, what comes to mind, like what first came to mind when you were talking about your experience with uh, this storytelling thing is it, what, what is the coolest thing to me about storytelling like this live lit, as we like to call it um, in Chicago, just because I, storytelling people think it's like um, 
we started calling it live lit because people got, thought it was like you know renaissance fair storytelling um got it right it had like a cheese ball thing. it's it doesn't matter it's storytelling yeah. so storytelling um it bridges the gap for me and maybe you of acting and writing. So it is both performance and writing, which I think is brilliant. I think acting is for the birds. Like I just do. I think acting is really hard. I'm not very good at it. Not because I'm not a good person, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not very good at it because I don't like it as much as I like telling a story that's my story that also has a performance aspect to it mm -hmm. and it heals the acting thing for me so you oh. are acting you yeah. are acting you're not like you in your kitchen just like when right. we do a podcast where there's a part of us that's acting it's right. not you know it just is what it is so I think that that is extremely healing and what I wonder if it's extremely healing for you because I feel like in terms of the acting thing, I know that post-graduation from an acting conservatory, you talk about just completely shutting down, completely not shutting down to the acting part of yourself. And I think like through your son and then through this podcast and through writing television and now through storytelling and, and, and like your dip into improv, you're, you're healing the actor part of yourself. Yeah, that's so right. That's right. It wouldn't surprise me if you went on to do acting like started acting in plays and stuff again. I'm not gonna lie, I'm really thinking about it. Um, yeah. at, at this point in time, I still feel like it's a bridge too far just because I have nobody to spell me at home, you know? I can't right. ask my right. husband to leave no. his job right. so I can go to a play. Oh. Yeah, um, but at some point, I mean, you know, they're not gonna be this age forever. No. At some point I will be able to do that. And I do have designs on doing that actually. Yeah, I really and do. I think, and I think you, I think this storytelling is brilliant because I think the cool thing about storytelling as well is like, you could go to New York city and do the moth one night. Right. It's not a, it's not a commitment like the play. In fact, you could do the risk thing that I did in New York, like the oh, risk yeah. podcast yeah. has live performances in New York. So all this to say that I think storytelling is a fantastic way to heal the part of ourselves that wants to be a performer, but definitely doesn't want, is not ready to take on all the trappings and bullshit that is a professional acting career, which is garbage. Like, I, I gotta say, like, I just tell my students this too, like the part of the business, which is why this is so fraught, because it's garbage. That's why you don't like it. But right. that doesn't mean it's not worth it to you. If you can find a way to make it worth it to you, the competition, the rejection, the then go for it. But what yeah. if that is bothersome and like, you don't want to deal? Like, what about live lit? Like, what about yeah. improv? What if there's yeah. so many other things? And so like, wouldn't it have been awesome, Gina, if someone had come to us fourth year and been like, hey, you know what? Maybe you get really nervous and have panic attacks when you have to audition. But what about like, writing this thing and telling your story on, you know, on a yeah. stage somewhere where you get to hold the piece of paper. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Jeremy Owens. Jeremy is a storyteller and the creator of a storytelling show called You're Being Ridiculous, which is premiering at Steppenwolf, I think tomorrow or the next day. Check it out. Uh, please enjoy our conversation with Jeremy Owens. Congratulations, Jeremy Owens, you survived theater school. 
and now uh. I want to hear this fabulous story <laughs> okay. that I missed the beginning of. Yeah, so Gina missed the beginning. So I was just basically saying that everyone's rusty, and it's really good we're talking about this because also uh, Gina's performing uh, storytelling uh, this weekend, and we were just talking about uh. how rusty it was, everyone was, after two years of not doing yeah. uh, live lit stuff. And then Jeremy tells me that he did a show. And of course we can, you don't have to use names and all that, but like right. did a show and it went South and by South, he's going to tell us what that means. It really went South. So it tell really us the, went South. Okay. So tell well, us. it's like so complicated. Okay. So I was doing a fundraiser. First off, I was like, I, there's no way like who wants to watch me talk on zoom like we're doing that all the time like who even cares how can this benefit anyone but it's a fundraiser my sister-in-law asked me amazing I love it amen let's go let's do it yeah so we're doing it and I okay I was not as cautious and as careful as I should have been the show I mean you've done the show you did a show I don't know if I can talk about your story, but you like got your tooth knocked out. That's oh yeah, story I was me. of course. Oh, <laughs> believe me, I did. I gave a blowjob and my back molar fell out. Yeah. Oh my so God, that's I a story. Story. I can't wait to hear it someday. You okay. need to hear that story. But <laughs> there it is. That's that's <laughs> the. <laughs> but that's like kind of the feel. It's like you don't know what's gonna happen. Some things are like you know super lovey dovey. Sometimes somebody tells a story about a blowjob and their tooth gets knocked out. It's like not a big deal. Like this is the world we live in. But I mean, if you're doing a corporate fundraiser for someone, and I just Alex, if you're listening, I love you. I just was not clued in, and that's my fault. That's not her fault. It's my fault. I accept responsibility for all those things. This is my disclaimer for my for my sister in law. Um, I accept all the responsibility for that. I just should have been more cautious, right? So if you're to have a storytelling show where teeth fall out from blowjobs, it's not that maybe not the best for like a board. Like those are the stories oh, that people want to hear. Oh my god! I mean, I it's, didn't it's, know. It is, it is if I'm on the fucking board, but I'm probably not going to. I know. That on any Same board. for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, we went to theater school, and I've decided, right. like, as that has you know passed me by, that we're not the same as like Bob down the street, who is like uh, wildly offended by anything, right. you know, sexual or. Anything. I will never get used to that, by the way. I, I, I'm always like, oh, really? We have to do this thing where I have to pretend like I'm talking to my grandma? Like, you're a full-grown adult standing in front of me. What's the I, deal? So oh wait, what was your story about? Please tell me something amazing and gross. Please. didn't even get to my story. That's the thing. Okay, so. Oh, was it you? Along, it wasn't even me. Fuck, so I wish it I was had, you. Like, I wish it were me. It, it was like six or seven people. And I think we got like three or four in. And so as they're happening, I'm like, oh, wow, that person said fuck. Oh, no, this person's talking about porn. Oh, wow. Like things that like just don't register for me because because of, I guess, theater school. It's like none of that registers for me. I'm not offended by anything other than like racist white assholes. Anything else doesn't register me. I don't. I don't, I just don't care. I'm not right. bothered. What so, was the charity though? I mean, it was oh like, what if it was like, was it like the nuns of like sister? <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to say their, I don't want to say their name. I'll what tell you sector? what sector. Well, they're like, um, healthcare. 
charity. He doesn't want to say. It's okay. Right, you don't right, have to right. say. It's complicated. Okay. Okay. Tell I us mean, later. Tell yes. Later. I mean, it's a great charity. They do wonderful great. things. Great. It's awesome, right? Great. But they weren't ready for me. Holy shit! So what happened? It just went blank. <laughs> were you like? Yeah, like we're just plopping along, and I'm like so excited because it's like July 2020. I have only been like talking to my dog and my husband, right? So this is happening and I'm listening to stories. I'm having a great time. This is like amazing, I'm loving life, porn, who cares, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden it stops working. Like I don't see anything. And I'm like, oh my God, this is my brother-in-law is like running the tech. I'm like, oh no. You thought it was a tech thing, of course. I was like, well, this happened to me. I was taking a class online this weekend and the internet died. And I was like, oh shit, like in the middle of class. I'm like, great. So now they think I'm an asshole. I just left class early. So I'm just like, this is dead, right? Then they, my sister-in-law calls me and tells me what's happening. And they're all furious. And they just, instead of like a conversation or something, or like, this is coming, or we're so disappointed. It was just like, this is over now. Like, just totally dead. The bad part about that is that none of us knew and there was no communication with me. Other, if it hadn't been my sister-in-law, I don't know if I would, I would still be here at my computer waiting, (laughs) probably. That's hilarious right there. Like, are you there yet? Hello? (laughs) Hello? Hi? Hi? Um, they just didn't communicate Are at all. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, w- one thing that like really I'm getting irritated about just listening to the story is like I don't know any of the players, but I feel like I feel like we're we, the people were pretending. People are pretending that they don't watch porn or that they don't swear or that they, you know like why do we have to do this pretending right. part? I just love unless there was children in the audience and maybe there were. I don't think so. Like you no, yeah, it's like I had like, like friends. Who like, curated it? Were you did you find I mean it? it's all my, basically this entire thing is my fault. But like for me <laughs> you you found everybody. I found everybody. I got everybody. This was like a great, in my mind, this is like a greatest hits. This is like awesome. This is going to be great. It's the one time I'm so grateful I was not asked to do anything. (laughs) Like It was just so weird. And there is like, I don't know. It, yeah, it was. Oh my God. But again, like. That's a Zoom story for the ages. I love it. All of a sudden it just goes blank. Like, when I'm in the home, this is a story I'm going to It just went blank. I didn't know what to do. Everything was gone. Oh, my um, God. Okay, but so. But talking about those things doesn't, I don't find that. If it, When I say porn, I'm not like, this is the butthole. Like, it wasn't like, you know what right. I'm saying? Right. Just, you're just <laughs> referencing like that, that just there like, is porn. I watched porn. Right. That's not offensive to me. Well, it's also it's it true. offensive to anybody. Like, I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like Gina was saying, like, we're okay. So that went south. Like, <laughs> and did you feel, I'm really concerned, like, cause I would have oh, probably had to check in somewhere because I would have been like, I curated this motherfucker and now I caused oh. a whole fucking. Oh, I'm still like, to like, <laughs> we have a show coming up in like a week at Steppenwolf. And I had one of the storytellers from that show sent me a story, is doing the show at Steppenwolf. And I like had a moment because his story is like, because of that and because I'm like wildly triggered, I was like, hey, maybe you could do the story about tennis or whatever. (laughs) 
And he's like, do you need a PG story? Like, what's going on? And then I was like, and then I reread his story. And I was like, I do not, his story is about sex. I do not find this offensive. This is okay. Yeah. I'm you a grown-ass person. Totally traumatized. traumatized. Yeah. And then I had to go back and be like, oh, God, remember that thing that happened in 2020? I'm just totally melted from that. Right. And your story's great and everything's fine. I'm just having a moment. Right. I'm going to calm down. Right. Can I tell you what happens to me, though, when I hear, whenever, my antenna go up whenever I hear, like, oh, that's offensive. To me, that just automatically means you're doing behavior that you feel really um, ashamed of. And so you want to shame me instead of just own the truth of whatever it is you're doing. This is exactly what happens on the handmaid's tale. You know, it's all about the Bible, but then they're just like holding people down and raping them. So (laughs) I just think it's a little bit of a soft sign for you've got trouble. If adults are saying that referencing the fact that there is porn is um, troublesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just, Oh my God. I can just, okay. I would have been so traumatized. So I hear you. And I also think that like, it's interesting. I've had a similar thing where like on this podcast, I've mentioned my husband's job. I have mentioned. And so Gene and I always talk about, well, we not always, but we've had to talk about this of like, what is the, and it's like a bigger thing in our society, right? In the world. Like, where do I draw the line of like, can I stand behind this? I guess that's what it is. It's like, can I stand if I'm called to the carpet, whoever, God, the board, whoever, and say, can you stand behind this show, these words? Can, mm-hmm. And that's when, if I can stand behind it and I am willing to answer for it, then I'm like, I'm all in. If I feel like, I'm wishy-washy, then I feel like it's going to go south. And then I, it's weird. It's a weird thing. It's like when to cut, when to not cut. Now you didn't have the ability on fucking live Zoom to do that. (laughs) What happens on live television, right? When someone goes bonkers or has a stroke, God forbid, or it's like, you don't know what to do. So live is a different thing. Like it's different with a podcast. We can cut, we can, but like a live show, whether it's zoom or on stage, there is this moment. So when I did my solo show, Samantha Irby, Sam Irby opened for me, right? Famous now wasn't famous then, but was always a a reverend and a badass, right? But did a story at my show. My uncles were there about (laughs) anal sex, right? Leakage and Mm -hmm. fluids. And I was like, Oh, and then I thought, oh, I wanted to run on stage and be like, (laughs) this is too much. But then I thought, you invited this person. This is their jam. This is your show. Who you love. Who I love. love. Right. What, what, okay, sit, sit and just deal with it. And if my uncle, and my uncle was really offended and like, fuck that. Okay. So, right. but it's hard to do. I was squirming. So you must have been squirming when you, when your, when your um, person called you and was like, "Because you, you found these people." But oh here's the thing: sometimes we squirm, right? Sometimes we squirm. Oh my god, I was dying because right. it's like I don't, I, I don't want to disappoint any of either of you. This computer, this desk, like the fan, <laughs> like. I just want to make everyone right. so happy all the time. And right. I don't want anyone upset with me right. or like, right. I don't want to cause any problems. Right. Nothing. I want you all happy. 
And sometimes so, despite our best people pleasing efforts, like shit goes south. Like that is right. the story of shit going south. Despite Absolutely. being a good person, having gone to college, go to right. therapy, shit still goes south. So I vote like, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, right. You know? you, you're very active, like socially. Right. So, uh, okay, well, let's, so let's, let's talk about you and your experiences. Did you go to DePaul? I wish I had gone to DePaul. No, um, don't. <laughs> but I, from listening to this podcast, I get that I don't. Um, no, I went to Roosevelt University for grad school. Cool. Tell us everything. Tell us like when you decided um, you wanted to be an actor and when you decided you wanted to go to theater school. Tell us everything. Well, for me, I grew up in Arkansas. So I went to the University of Arkansas and I started out as like a journalism and a political science major. But then they, the department, the journalism department had us take a, a speech class, like a how to speak in theater class, you know, to get rid of your accent, basically, because we're all Arkansans. We sound like, you know. We're in God with the wind or whatever. So we took this class and I had growing up in like my small town, I'd always loved theater. I'd done community theater and the whole thing. So when I took that class and like everyone in there is like, you know, so alive and so like interesting and like it like real, I was like, well, this is going to be a problem. So then I like, I signed up for, you know, the second semester of the class. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to audition for these one acts. And then so slowly I just migrated into the theater department and t completely dropped journalism, political science, all of it, disappointed my parents, ruined their lives, you know, the whole thing. So, so I didn't really understand like, by the by the end of my time in undergrad i was like i don't really it's like you're young it's like i don't understand grad school i don't know but that seems to be thing that I, there was a grad program that had just started there like like near the end of my time there and i was like i guess that's what i'm supposed to do and so everyone told me to go to chicago i had never been to chicago i knew nothing about it never even visited but i was like okay they're like funny people should go to chicago and i'm like well i'm funny so i guess that's where i'll go you are funny so it's good you went there thanks so <laughs> so i auditioned at erda's and did that whole thing and then i got a call back from them and I, it was like weird. Like I thought there was going to be like some like bigger process or something. Like, am I going to, I was like ready, you know, with like my other, like, do you want 16 bars? Do you need other, other monologues? Like, well, what's the deal? And it was just kind of like a done thing. So I was like. At the yes. callback? Or yeah, it's like at the callback, there was like, it was at Erda's and it's like, you go to the person's hotel room, which now seems really creepy. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> what with a couple other people and it just seemed like i liked the person who did the interview and i was like they're in chicago this seems great i did, wait <laughs> what's it like to act in a hotel room i've never done well that i before. like the audition was in like i don't even know the where it was room? it was like the ballroom it was like there was like a black box sort of like made up oh. situation so you audition okay. And then, like, the next day or a few hours later, you get, like, a sheet with a list of the schools that want to, like, talk to you or whatever. Oh, okay. 
And we have been like through the ringer with my undergrad teacher. And she's like, okay, you need to have, like you had like your folder with your monologues. And like, if someone wanted a song, like the whole thing, it's just like boot camp, you're ready. Yeah. So I'm like prepared for somebody to ask me to do anything. And I don't know, I got callbacks to like a lot of places, which I was like, oh my God. Um, none of them asked me for anything, which maybe looking back, maybe that was like not a great situation. I don't know what that no, means. No, they were just, they were just the, in the callback, they were just meeting you, right? They were just wanting to know right. what you were like. Yeah. I guess. I think, but they, it's I like, think you're acting was, probably wow. Like really, they probably would have if they were on the fence, but that probably wasn't it. They probably wanted to do what, you know, they, they, a chemistry <laughs> read or whatever the fuck they call it. Right. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But this meeting with the person at Roosevelt, it's like, she was nice it was great it felt good so I was like all right maybe that's where I'm going (laughs) and I knew I wanted to get to Chicago so like that was that was the deal um but since an undergrad you were not thinking this at all I'm guessing you don't come from a performing family or you you weren't doing this in high school Oh my God. Well, there was like the junior play or whatever that like pays for the prom, you know, like that kind of a situation. But otherwise, like I did community theater and I'm from a town of like 10,000 people. So there wasn't like really a community theater. I did Annie in like, I don't know, 10th grade or something. Amazing. Really upset I couldn't be Annie. Yeah, I was going to be saying, did you get to play? (laughs) (laughs) Who were you? Who were you? I was like a senator and like the Apple salesman. Uh, and I was like that guy. I'm like running around doing whatever anybody wanted me to do. Well, funny. That's why you could do a lot. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Interchangeable. Okay. So day one, you're at Roosevelt. Um, yes. Is this the education that you thought you were going to get? Funny. You should ask. Oh. So this, when I went, which was, this was 2000. Yes. 2000. So it was their first year of their MFA program. Oh, shit. Oh, shit is right. They accepted 30 people. Take that in for a second. 30 MFA students? 30 MFA actors. That's too many people. It's usually five. Thank you. I think that if I'm being kind... I think they accepted a huge amount of people thinking that, you know, with everything going on that like maybe 10, which is still too many, would accept. So there were 30 of us. So we're there on the first day and I'm just like, this seems bananas. I don't know anything about what this experience is supposed to be. But 30 people, that's like, that's like an entire MFA program, you know? That's like three years of people or more. Oh my God. So immediately I was just like, "Mm, this doesn't seem right. But, you know, I was like 24. So I'm like, so happy to be there. I'm living in my friend's basement, my my friend's mom's basement until (laughs) I find an apartment. Just like, you know, desperate 20s times. Yes. So immediately I was like, I, this is, I, I don't know. You're like, I think I should get off this roller coaster right now, but it's already going, right? Yeah, totally. I just like was on and because I didn't have like um, necessarily the support of my parents for this entire thing, 
I was like, fight or flight. Like, I will do this if I have to hang on to the side of the building and sleep like that or like whatever it is, I'm gonna do this. So you did it. So I did it. And is it a typical curriculum voice and speech and movement and all that stuff? Yeah, I was sort of surprised by all of it. Um, the program that I did in undergrad, I felt like, I don't know, I guess everyone in undergrad, if you're doing theater stuff there, you think that like what you're doing is like enough and great. And that's how everything's going to go. Uh huh. Yeah. So to spend like three hours a day in a movement class suddenly when you're like, God damn it, let me do a monologue or a scene or sing a song. Like, let me work, you know? I understand that that is also work and it's fundamental. <laughs> but it was really shocking to me. So, you know, what's interesting is like, and you're not the first person that I've felt this that we've had on the show. It's like, what I would, it's like, you should have maybe gone right to Second City and just done that that five-year conservatory i know and gotten the fuck out but it's not accredited it's not like a real university that would probably make your parents even more like unhappy and so oh my god but like you needed like a professional program like there's conservatory training for actors and then there's professional programs and i too wish i had done so okay but you're in this how long was the roosevelt mfa program three years oh fuck right okay And and was it um this thing where you can't perform the first year, but then you do, and you're in the casting pool with BFAs. Yeah. I, we couldn't perform in the first year though. Uh, at the end of the first semester, they opened up an audition to be an intern at Chicago Shakespeare, which was like super exciting. So I auditioned and then I was doing the second semester. I got to be an intern and be on stage and do King Lear at um, Chicago Shakespeare. I mean, I was like, you know, a do a homeless person uh, you were running out. around. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So then I was like, oh no, this is great. I'm like with like these amazing people that I don't know who they are yet, but I yeah. will. And they're, those people are amazing. Yeah, they are. Who played Lear in that? Uh, Greg Vinkler. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Was Barbara Gaines directing? Barbara Gaines directed. Yeah. She's amazing. She's she's famous for uh, for me for uh, my one audition I had there. She yawned during my whole monologue. But, but to be fair, it was really. But to be fair, it was really boring. Like it was really boring. She was basically doing what I wish I could have done. Yawned oh my, my whole thing. It was boring. Right. My shit was boring. She was like this. You can't see, but yeah, it was rude, but apropos, I sucked. Anyway, onward. So, okay, so you were, you got to work at Shakes, and so you were like, okay, but the program itself, did you make friends? What was the vibe? Like BFA, was the BFA program established at that time? I think so. Oh, and that part, okay, like whatever I'll say about Roosevelt, which I don't have, I don't know, necessarily great things to say about the program. It doesn't even exist anymore, P.S., by the way. But the the BFA program, the program for undergrads, I thought that was, like, excellent. Like, I was, like, happy for those kids. Like, that seemed, like, good, and they were having a good time. But for us, it was just, I don't know, it just felt kind of sad and different. 
so your parents were psyched about the idea of you being a journalist. That's what they thought you were going to be doing. <laughs> I think the imaginary plan was that I would, or what I sold them at the time was I'm going to get this journalism degree and then I'm going to go to law school. Oh, yeah. Every, okay. Right. That's everybody's catch all. Okay. I'll, I'll just yeah. I'm a lawyer. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm going to do. But then I was like, but these plays, these people, it's really the people that were just more fun. Oh, wow. 100%. Actually, that draws so many people in for, for exactly that reason. It's just something this like tribal feeling that you don't know that you don't have it until you find it. And then you go, oh, my God. Yeah, it was like was life? really it was really um, all encompassing. I was like, well, I can't not be with these people. Right. <laughs> what kind of shows did you do there at Roosevelt? I. All right. So so there was that first year experience. And then I don't know. I. Let's see, I did my last year. Yeah, just anything that sticks out in your brain. Three Penny Opera. And then there wow. was this weird Asian adaptation of The Rope by whatever old Greek guy. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean an Asian adaptation? So here's one of the weird things about the program. So there were a couple of classes that made zero sense that we were taking as actors. One was we all had to take a stage man- management course. I don't know. If, did you guys have to do no. that? No. We did, I crew, was like, we did crew, but I don't even know. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, like working in a crew is like, that's normal. Stage but an entire management? semester de- devoted to stage management just seems kind of rude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like they needed stage managers for their yeah. shows. Or they needed <laughs> teachers to teach. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. And then there is a professor there who, white lady, who loved Asian theater. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, pause for that. It's like the P.F. Chang's of, um, <laughs> she was trying to be the P.F. Chang's. I mean, white, God white people bless her. love P.F. Chang. God love her. I mean, yes, I'm interested in Asian theater too, but... We, everyone was required as part of the MFA program to take an Asian theater class. So, which is interesting. I'm not knocking like any right. of that, but the, I don't know, the possibility of me being in an Asian. Yeah. Like what's play? the utility really? What's also, the, it, just, it just sounds like she had a thing for her thing was yeah. Asian theater and she wanted she everyone fetish. else's thing. To totally her thing. She had studied in, I don't know, Japan, I think, and had right. done this whole program. And it was like her, she may even have like a PhD in it. I don't really know, right. but that was her thing. And the, good for her. Awesome. But like, why are you teaching but this it, to actors? But not practical. Yeah. It just seems like weird. So <laughs> the play I did, I did the, the rope, which is like a Greek, play never heard of it she, I, I wish you had done the ring anyway okay. <laughs> so she translated the play into a kyogen style thing which is a very specific Wait. asian theater okay. style play not only that not only that but like I have always been openly, unapologetically sort of who I am, which means, hello, I'm a homosexual. Okay. And it's clear. And I'm not, like, afraid of that as an actor or a person. So I played the... Yeah. Get ready. I played 
the I don't want to call it like the evil sister, but I played like the villain in the play, which was like an older witch type woman in the play. And that was supposed to be hilarious. Uh-uh. Yeah, right. No, sure. sir. No, sure. sir. That's really where we're headed. It's, it's, the, it's the aughts. I'm also saying the aughts. In yeah. the aughts, some weird shit went down. Not that Some long weird ago. shit went down. Yeah, so it's like, thinking about that now, you would, like, want to, like, light all of Chicago on fire, right? Correct. But at the time, this, I guess, was, like... Cool. Cool and inventive Crazy. to make the one gay guy that you were mm. sure was gay play a woman. Peter, why in theater? In Asian ever... drag. Oh, Asian drag? Did you did you have Asian makeup on? Oh my gosh, the whole thing is like Asian themed, right? So were there we're any all in like camionos in... and the whole thing. I don't. I can say for sure, but I don't oh think so. Oh my god, what were we what the fuck? Man? So just a bunch of white people running around in kimonos speaking in a very like, you know, metered style Asian thing. And I'm a woman also on top. I wish we had a video. I, I do. Yeah. I really want to watch this play. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, just like for a snippet, because you know, when you Think of yourself and how seriously you took a role when you were young and you oh. and you and you just in your mind's eye, even if there's no video, and you just imagine like what did this actually look like? Yes. And it always right. looks funny no, no matter what no or matter sad. What. If it's a comedy, it looks sad, and if it's a tragedy, it looks <laughs> funny, right? That's true. Okay, so that was one. Did you have any roles that you liked? I mean, kind of well, there was like a a directing project that one of my friends did. It was like a Steve Martin one act. Oh, and fantastic. I was like, yeah, right. Like it was like a, le- a legit play that was like funny and good. And I had like the lead and yeah. I was like, it was like a, like a straight man that I was playing. And I like felt excited because it felt like I was like reaching, for, not reaching, but you know what I mean? You're like, Oh, this is a play. I'm like yeah. called to like do a thing. And I like, and working for this goal to do. And I felt like I was successful in it and it felt good, but like that was probably the one. Right. Even my thesis role, which was like, oh. I was like a random chorus person in Three Penny Opera. Literally it's my third year. I'm like, Mm-mm. I have to write 30 pages now on, yeah, it's, it's so like that. Here's the thing like that I just, and maybe you guys could chime in, in, in terms of, the uh, curriculum there doesn't seem to be an actual curriculum for these programs like now that i'm teaching i'm like wait but what is the tech and what is the piece of paper that you can point to to say this is the mission of these three years for these mfa actors there is no plan what is the plan that's what i feel about a lot of this is and it's still to this day in in conservatories what is the fucking plan? Because there doesn't seem to be one. And if there's not a plan, we shouldn't be charging dollars to these people. I, I just, no. I, it should be then, it should be camp, a free camp where we go <laughs> and we, I don't know. Anyway, so you're well, we paid yeah. camp. I mean, honestly, like yeah. it's, it's, 
it needs to be treated a little bit more like a technical school and pass fail right because yeah you know, like the goal like it's like if you're a journalist like can you do these things yes. can you write a obituary can you yes. write a, what a news story can you do that you know what i mean so it's like when i leave this place am i going to be able to get a job and i know that like Everyone's like theater is like, oh gosh, you're never going to work or whatever. But that it's just not true. It's like, everything is the same. There are basic skills. Right. Do you have them? Right. There are milestones to meet along the way. And if you, I mean, anyway, I, it's just the more we interview folks, the more I'm like, oh, this whole higher ed situation, uh, um, fine arts needs a whole overhaul. I don't know what it's going to take, but we'll probably be extinct on the planet before it happens. So I just feel like maybe that's the way it's going to go. And okay. But like, okay. So you graduate, you then yeah. are like, okay, I have this MFA. Then what happens to you? <laughs> By the end of the program, I was really like, I don't know. I, I feel like it kind of it kind of broke me because things like that were happening, which in a way is like, I mean, at the time we didn't have the language for like, you know, playing an Asian woman in a play. Like it's offensive and it's like not it's furthering me. It's, it's really racist. racist. It's not furthering me as an actor. I'm not going to leave here and like run around in Komodo in plays for the rest of my life. It just kind of broke me. And a lot of the, I would say some of the teachers, the whole situation just didn't make me feel good. <laughs> so at the end, I was like, you know what? Maybe. Mm, I don't know. I need. I needed a break from that whole world. I mean, I did audition for a while, um, but the shortest while. Like how short? Uh, maybe it was a couple years. Yeah, I it think... reminds me of Gina's trajectory and mine. Mine too. Like I stopped after. I stopped after three. Yeah, I was probably three years. Yeah. Like slowly, just petered out. I mean, I got to the point where I'm like going. So I went on a few theater auditions in the beginning and then I had an agent and I would go on these like on camera calls and I would just be like, oh my God, I'm in this giant room with a hundred people that are dressed and look just like me. This is the most depressing thing. Like I just was like, I can't, mm -hmm. if this isn't, this doesn't feel good either. I, I, I want to hear how, eventually how we get to storytelling but before we do i just i didn't want to leave the whole um roosevelt thing without I, I don't think i've ever really asked anybody this before but um you're not the first person who basically says to us like i'm gay and they didn't know what to do with me in theater oh. school right yeah. So I'm just, I don't know if this is a question or a comment or what, or like just a prompt for discussion, but what is the barrier there? What, what, I mean, it seems like what you're saying about this role that you got cast in is like, you're gay. So you'd like to wear drag. Is that what the thinking was? I don't know. I, for me, it's two things. It's like, there's the gay thing for sure, but also I'm funny. So if you're in a serious theater program, please understand I'm doing some heavy air quotes because every theater program thinks they're a serious sure. theater program. Right. They really do not know what to do with people who aren't fitting into the definition of serious. Oh. 
And so I think, yes, there's like me, the stereotypical gay person or whatever, if I am. Um, So there's that person, but that's usually a funny person. And so then they don't like, how do we, this is serious. We're doing real serious work here. How can this work? It makes that... That makes me, uh, it makes sense. And it also makes me so angry. Just Full of rage. Full of rage and also (laughs) like fucking pick different motherfucking material. That fits your motherfucking class, you dumb fucks. That is what we're supposed to be doing is picking material that highlight our students and help them grow in a way and not. Pick different plays, motherfuckers. That's really where in in the whole situation, I feel like that's that's what sort of killed me is that there wasn't a place for me no one cared to create one and you are i already felt like i don't fit here i don't belong and so it's just like that slowly just really like sinks in so you've got that going on you've got you're there with 30 actors and it was kind of, honestly, it was sort of like easy to just like hide, you know, unless yeah. I'm being called to play the Asian lady in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like, I kind of just was like, eh. Yeah, you gave mm. up. I mean, they yeah, gave, gave up. up. But Demoralizing. The, but, but they gave up on yeah. you first, right? Like, it is. We, honestly, we give up, did. We give up when people give up on us first, especially as yeah. people. Uh-huh. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. So you're in audition rooms after school. You're you're feeling like this is depressing. There's five thousand of us, and we all look the same. How where how did the, how did you evolve from that to what you're currently doing? Which I'm gonna go on a limb and say is fulfilling to you, artistically fulfilling to you. What you're doing? Now. I would say yes. Okay. Um, how did that happen? I mean, after, you know, just deciding I'm not going to go on these calls anymore. I just like, I was like, okay, then I'll, I'm working at a restaurant. So that's what I'm, I'm going to work in a, I work in restaurants now. That's what I do. And I did that for a while. And then I was just like, okay, but wow, this, (laughs) this, this can't be it. Like, even if you, as an actor, like, whatever level you achieve as an actor, I think um, there's always that part of you who's like, yeah, but, like, can I talk somewhere? And people just, like, listen to me or just let me tell, you know, just get really enthusiastic with storytelling at a party or, like, whatever. Um, I, I didn't know about the moth or storytelling or any of that stuff. I really was just like this theater experience grad school was so bad for me. And I'm too afraid to go to second city to do improv because I had sat through, you know, the first year of friends doing that. And I was like, well, I'm not doing this. Um, (laughs) Terrifying. Um, So I thought, Hey, what if I, get some actors together and we will write monologues, which is how I thought of it at the beginning. It'll be like loosely based on a theme and we'll do a monologue show. I think I had just seen Nora Ephron's play, um, Love, Loss and What I Wore. And so there's all these women on stage telling this like story. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not a playwright. I could never like make this happen necessarily. But like if there are people on a stage and then they're just like one by one, like telling a story based on a theme, like, oh my gosh, this is revolutionary. I've just invented this whole new thing. Um, So that is sort of where I started. When was that? I'm sorry, what year was that? 
2010. And tell tell everybody where it is now. Well, now it's at Steppenwolf, which Woo! like breaks my brain. Back yeah. to the theater. Back to the theater. Yeah. Do you feel any... Okay, so the feeling of walking into Steppenwolf with this thing that you're walking in the door... Before you walked in the door, you already know they want you. What's that <laughs> feeling like? And do, are you thinking about yourself as an actor or the old sense of as, as you thought of yourself at the time as an actor? Definitely. I think as it goes on, more and more, I get confused. Like, am I an actor? Am I this writer person? And I understand now more and more that it like that definition doesn't matter. Like the distinction doesn't matter. But yeah, like I regularly am in communication with like the like makes me emotional. I'm like regularly in communication with the kid and what his dreams were and what he wanted to achieve and how you can get to a place beyond your dreams and it just might not be exactly how you think it's going to be or what it looks like or any of that stuff. Yes, I love that. I mean, I think it's also important for our listeners to just really to to say that again. Like the way I thought I was going to get somewhere <laughs> did not go down that. And it's not. It's still transforming. No. And yet I am so grateful that it didn't go down that way that I thought it was going to oh. go down for so many reasons. But when we are 21 and 22 and 24... It is like the hugest tragedy to think that we would have to say goodbye to sitting in a room with 5,000 of us that look just (laughs) like us and have to go to the restaurant and then go to the storytelling community and then end up back at Steppenwolf. We can't fathom that that would be a good thing. It's the best thing ever. It's the best thing. I mean, ultimately, like whatever happened to me there in that time, and a lot of it I'm responsible for whatever happened to me i'm grateful for yeah um, i feel like it taught me a lot of a lot of lessons i agree with what you just said boss but i'm gonna offer a little bit of a counterpoint which is it's got it's hard to make the distinction between what you just said and what's that's definitely true for for my life like my idea of how i was going to get somewhere because i couldn't be literally just like that a to b to c then I just thought I had to let it go all the way. But but there's a difference between that and knowing you really have something and you need to stick with it. Because the average uh. time that it really takes is seven years, right? For somebody knocking around, audition. that's what you hear a lot. Like it was seven years, it was eight years, it was 10 years before I finally. So like, how does a per- person who's maybe just graduating this year listening to this, how are they going to how do they select that for themselves? It's a question for both of you. You mean, how do you know, like whether it's time to do something else or just keep at it? Oh, I think it it becomes for me, it's like, if it feels intolerable and like you want to die and you're depressed and anxious all the time, then it's time to try something else. Like literally that's what it took for me. It was like, no, no, I'm an actor. I'm going to try. I'm going to go to LA. And then even though I work for Nick Cage, I'm going to do it. I'm still an actor inside. This is really my calling. And then in 07, trying again when I'm a therapist, no, I'm I'm really an actor. And I think it wasn't until I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like I had, for me, it was like I knew that the cost of pretending that to, the hustle of trying to be an actor was too great 
and it was I got too old and I was taking too much of a toll on my mental and physical, mostly mental and emotional health that I was like, no, it's time to pivot. But like, I think, and I think you're right, Beans, and what I'm hearing is like, like every kid has to know that for them, has to go through it for themselves. And sometimes people take seven years of that and then they something hits and it's like they find their stride. And sometimes after seven years, something hits and they still realize they're miserable even after something hits, like even after they get the role. So for me, it's a mental health check at all times to know if the shit is working. But yeah, who knows what the, yeah. Jeremy, what, what were you going to no, say? No, I fully agree with that whole thing. It's like, you don't know. I just like, I had like that little nugget of, I'm not a restaurant person. Like I'm, I'm really yeah, going to pretend right. like, I, I mean, I'm okay at math, but I'm like really going to be like the office manager forever. I mean, currently I'm an office manager somewhere, but like that is it. Like that's the end of the line after all of this work and like all this stuff. I mean, I love theater. I love being a part of anything with theater. So like that is the end. And I, I think for me, it's just like, my anxiety and my like stress, mental health, all that stuff. I finally, it was just like, no, listen, like I have to like get somehow on the other side of that and pursue this because I, this cannot be it. This is not enough. Right. Yeah. And I guess if, if I think back to myself at that time, my feeling about trying to be an actor wasn't that it made me depressed and anxious the thing that was in the back of my mind that I would have never put in the front of my mind is nobody will ever want me. There's, this is a futile, like, yes, I want to do this. Yes. I don't want to do anything but this. Yes. I have never wanted to have another career besides this, but it doesn't work for me because nobody's ever going to want me. So it was all like a self defeating thing, which is different than, you know, actually interacting with the world and seeing if they wanted me or not. Right. And I think, I wonder what would have happened like to, to people like you and me, or just to you, if you had said, okay, well, fuck that voice for a second. And what if it, it, I wonder if the voice gets quieted for a while, like, let's say you had landed on a big TV show for whatever reason, you're the star. I wonder what manifestation that voice would, how that voice would manifest itself. Even if you were doing the thing that you (laughs) thought was the thing that you wanted to do. And we'll, we won't know because thank God you didn't do that because it could have led to disaster or not. But I just, it's like that voice, whatever I keep inside, I always am wondering, okay, like even if this consulting practice takes off, if I don't address my voice that says, nobody, you don't have nothing to say, da, 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 will that ever really fully take off and make me happy? It's so interesting. It's like, I don't know. I think it's like fucking trial and error, dude. Everything, everything, yeah. everything. I agree. Though I do like more and more think that in, I don't know what the class would be, but I feel like somewhere along the line in theater school, there should be somebody who goes around and tells everyone that there's more than one path. Like if you're not, you're, if you're not going to play Juliet, like if that's like your whole life goal, like there are other ways, like stand up is a way storytelling is a way like there are so many ways to be involved and just because you're not auditioning and doing monologues and like i'm gonna play or i'm auditioning for a commercial like there are so many ways to be like a performing artist or you know so many ways but none of them have the respect that like you know i'm doing shakespeare or whatever right thing 
You're right. There should be somebody irritating. working around. Like they have on sets, somebody from Equity or from SAG or whatever walking around yeah. being like, is everybody treating you okay? They need to yeah. have the, a, a para, a, a paraprofessional. In, in or maybe school. just like in an audition room, just being like, you know what, sweetheart? Like, I, I see you're stressed. I see you're sweating. And I want you to know that there's more than just like this carpet commercial or whatever. A doula, an acting doula. <laughs> That's what we need. A Completely. Comfort, right? A comforting and, person. And also, you know, like, I feel like it, it does fall on sort of us as, um, well, I'll speak for myself, like an older generation, middle-aged now. I'm middle-aged now. And it's like, when I go in, I remember the first time I went in with a youngster and I played her mom in an audition, right, for television or something. And she was like shaking. And believe me, I, I still yeah. shake sometimes, but she was like shaking. Can't see it on the podcast, but she was shaking, shaking. And I just <laughs> turned to her and I said, listen, which was lovely, maybe 17, 16. I said, oh, my God, she was in high school still. This was like a special. She was like one of those good, like beautiful kids that went for, in high school to us to real auditions, you know. And yeah. uh, I said, listen, we're not going to die in there. We're going to die one day, but we're not going to fucking die in that room, my friend. We're going to go in there. We're going to do these like lines about the alcoholic mom and the daughter, and then you're going to be okay. And she was like, thank you. Thank you so much. And she still shook and it didn't make her, but I just wanted her to know that like, listen, like I There's see more you. than this. Well, I also see you. <laughs> I see what's happening here. And I just want to acknowledge that like, it feels really scary, but I see that, that you're, I guess that's all. I just want, because nobody ever, I mean, that, that was how I felt. And you said it, Jeremy, at the, at the theater school is that nobody ever saw me for who I really was and said, Hey, you have a gift for X, Y, and Z, whatever that is. You right. have a, you, you, they, no one sees when you don't feel seen, yeah. you just stop seeing yourself and then it's all downhill from there. So I think people really want to be seen, especially young actors, um, yeah, and... I mean, I was like 24. Like, can you remember being 24? Like, that is like, first off, like, the worst. Sort of miserable time. And they're like, I'm supposed to be making this big adult choice. And like, no one's there for me. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I mean, there are certainly exceptions to that. But yeah. Yeah. So like, would it be fair to say that when you were growing up, I mean, you, you weren't planning to necessarily be an actor your whole life but would it be fair to say that one of the things that was really gratifying to you when you found your people what was that you had an occasion to speak in a context where people understood you and and appreciated you that you didn't have that before i mean yeah definitely i mean when i found theater people i would say that that happens like i was like oh I something in my brain just like you connect to like a group of people and just the just there's I don't know you know there's like there's something about like theater people and it's like you either have that like your antennas up for that like message in that community or you don't and I feel like when I landed with them I felt like together somehow. Tell me a little bit more about what you're doing at Sepple. I mean, you have a podcast and it's a storytelling podcast, but no you podcast. But, oh, no it's not podcast. a podcast. Okay. It's just at Steppenwolf. Say, say more about it. I wish I had a podcast, but like, I can't, like I'm doing, I'm like a one man band. So like, if I could make a podcast happen, I would do that. Like somebody do that for me. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's, we're at Steppenwolf, May 26th, 27th and 28th. The show 
is uh, the theme is joy. So there are eight performers and uh, all telling a story based on that theme, which is interesting. I think it's Brene Brown who like says, if you ask people to tell you about like joy, they're going to tell you about the heartache that how they got to instead of I was imagining this is the first time we've done a show in like two and a half years. I'm so excited. Let's celebrate. And then a lot, I get, I take submissions for the show. And so, so many of them, I was like, Oh, maybe this was the wrong theme. Um, So many are, and they're wonderful. They're beautiful, but it's like so many of them about heartbreak or loss or just like things that happened (laughs) that, I was it's, like it, not you expecting. Were, like not. It, what, what, uh, the show is called "You're Being Ridiculous," and just tell us quickly about like the title. What about that? Because it's a very specific title. I had a blog early on when I first moved to Chicago, and I made my friend name it. And it, we this is like not even like a story story, but like I guess at one point I we started saying that is like a thing to each other like you're being ridiculous about everything you're being ridiculous and so I was like oh I'm gonna start a blog and that's what it's gonna be called and then the blog then I was like when I was doing the show I was like what should I call it oh well you're being ridiculous but how did you get from the blog to the I mean how you just you well I guess you said you had the idea it felt like a new art form to you, <laughs> right right and and you found a lot of people who were willing to is it mostly actors who you found that have been willing to write a story and tell it well there's like the storytelling there's like now there's like a storytelling community in the beginning i was like oh i have some actor friends and those are the people that i can get to do it and now i would say there's like a mix of both story people and actor people there's like actors i love that i want to work with and so i like will beg people to do it like sam irby jen has done it mm-hmm. um actors in the world i'm trying to think so you Molly. can't see it unless you go to steppenwolf right okay it's it's so fun and it's also really cool for for those of us who dreamed of so when i graduated at the theater school i was in a steppenwolf kids show right and then that and then i thought i had made it right and then i went away and didn't act so coming back to do your show at steppenwolf i was like oh my god i'm back in the steppenwolf dressing room and it looks very different of course but it's fancy it feels fancy there is something about it that legitimizes for me the 18, 20, 24 year old saying, okay, I am back at this institution that I felt I was not wanted at for 20 years. And now here I am. And also the cool thing about your show is that I had the feeling of, oh, and this time I'm here, I'm doing it my way. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel the same way. Like I just going there, like every time the first, like the first night that we do it, every time we've done it there, every time I get like emotional and like connecting with, you know, all of that theater school stuff. And like, I'm here, like, I don't know if this means anything or is real, (laughs) is real or like whatever, but it's just like connects with, I got here and I got here my own way. Do you still have a desire to act? That's what I almost wanted to have like a, like a therapy session with you guys about. Like I have written a solo show, but I'm like so traumatized by 
everything we've just talked about that I'm having a really hard, like I, right before the pandemic, actually it was supposed to be at Steppenwolf, right before the pandemic, I wrote this, the show and had a reading with friends. And then I like made myself schedule it with them. And that was like one of the first things that died in the pandemic was the solo show. And so I need to like get back to that and do it. Um, but I'm having a really hard time, like, You feel getting, afraid? I feel, like, wildly afraid. But also, I mean, your question is, like, do we want to do, like, theater stuff again? And I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I do. I feel, like, both wildly afraid and, like, more grounded and confident at the same time about my abilities and as, as an actor even though I haven't acted, I don't know. But what's, when you think of, when, when you can feel the feeling of fear, is it like nobody's going to show up? I'm going to forget my lines. It's not going to be good. What, what's the fear? All of those things. All of those things. Okay. <laughs> so I think, I think, yeah. And I, I hear you. And I also wonder something that occurs to me was occurring to me about you throughout this whole interview is that you, you, could be the next John Oliver. I have this feeling about you that is like going to mix journalism and your funniness and your your solo showness about having a. I'm just wondering if you could view it as your solo show being sort of, I don't know, an experiment in, in, in being curious about what it is. First of all, what could it look like? What is it? And also, I, do, I think that there's something about journalism that really sticks out for me, for you, like in terms of your wit and in terms of your passion. And we've never seen someone like you with your own sort of talk show type situation. So I'm just, that is like some wow. weird, weird, like frou-frou, <laughs> like the hit I got intuition yeah. while you were talking. Do, what if you did a storytelling talk show? What if you, what if you got so good at helping people identify what their own stories were that you could do it with just a crowd of regular people? Right. Yeah. And like, Holy I just, crap, you guys. <laughs> I, I just think, I think, and I, I love that. And I, I think that the, that what I'm getting at is like, if you can approach like, okay, the only way I get on a plane is if I look at how am I being of service by where I'm going? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, okay. That's the only way. Cause I'm petrified to fly. So what if with your solo show, we took the same approach, which is okay. Like whether it's service or not, I don't know, but thought about it in a different way in terms of how to get it done. Like, is there a greater purpose than my fear? That's the only way I do things that I'm afraid of. That's yeah. the only just, way. It's like changed my life with that question because like, I also can't stand to fly. I literally drive everywhere. Me too. I can't deal with, I can't deal with it. Me too. So I'm wondering if Wait, I need what's to that get, question again? I'm literally going to write is, it down. I don't remember what we recorded. <laughs> the greater purpose. Oh, the question is what is what is a greater purpose that's being served? Yes, about doing this thing than my fear is. Yes. you know that's greater than my fear. Yeah, and for me, greater. if I know I'm going to like, if Gina called me and said I need you to fly here because I'm having a nervous breakdown or whatever, I would say okay, I gotta go. Like there would be no oh, but I'm anxious. I would be like fuck it, just get on the plane because I know that the thing I'm doing is greater than my fear, meaning right. It motivates me more. Right. So anyway. is it autobiographical, your one person show? Yes. Okay. 
it's maybe you're afraid of that too well so that but i mean a lot of it is like stuff i've done before for okay. the show so i don't know but see the difference is this is all about you so like it, the solo show becomes there's nowhere to hide right so there's right. nowhere to hide there's no other performers there's no other there's like, no break I'm, yeah i'm curating <laughs> other people's vision you know i volunteer to be your solo show doula I volunteer to <laughs> just for you could just bounce like I mean one of probably many people that you would do but you know send me your outline and say does it and and ask me what you know ask me if what your fear about how it's coming across ask me if that's true and I'll tell you right just be careful just, <laughs> no I'm 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 all about it because I Actually, one of the greatest things Boz has taught me is how to how to always be thinking about how to be of service, even when you're doing something that just feels like selfish and it's just delightful to you. I mean, it's delightful for me to do anything related to theater. And if I could do it and be of service to another person, that's so much better. Right. Like it's it's it, when you find for, for me, when I find my jam, right, like my jam of whatever it is, then it doesn't feel like it literally doesn't feel like work. And I never I always thought that was the biggest load of crap being an immigrant's daughter. Like I was like, you, work is work. Fuck you. It's supposed to feel hard and then you're going to die. And that's how it is. But now I'm like, oh, wait a second. I know what they mean when they say if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. It's not about that. It's about like what my mom's whole vision of that was. It's about when I feel energized by when I find my jam and I'm being of service. Um, energy. That's yeah. what it's about, man. It's totally about the thing energy. that gives you energy instead yeah. of sapping your energy. Yeah. Or making right. you so afraid because fear, fear saps energy, right? So it's like how to use it as in a way, find your, you'll find your juice. And also um, it's okay to be afraid and, and like we know and do things anyway. Um, right. And, but I think the purpose, finding that purpose for the show of service, which will take you out of your fear eventually, not at first. Right. No, I know that too. Yeah. I mean, the whole reason for the show, I mean, other than like feeling like I'm getting, like I'm doing theater again, my own way that I'm fully in charge of is the idea of being of service to other people, of offering the space to other people to be able to, to have both be able to tell their story and to be able to do it at Steppenwolf. It's like, that is like, I so, will fucking dress up as you and do the goddamn show. That's right. Fucking do the show. So, so when you're ready to mount, what does your one person show have a title? No, I can't figure it out. Okay, you're being when, ridiculous. When you're being ridiculous is a, is mounting a step and wolf. You will come back on the podcast and you'll tell us all about how you got there. How look, you look back and you say, after that, I started thinking and then I did, the, because that's all it is. It's like you, you have the thought, you get a little encouragement, you do a little work on it. You let it sit, you go back. And then before you know it, it's done. Yep. Right. It's right. not always this monolith that we, that we yeah, I, I, she's absolutely right. And then the, the other thing I was just going to say is there was before my solo show, this, this, this friend I had who I'm no longer friends with, cause she was problematic, but she said to me, someone out there needs to hear what you have to say. So fuck you and your fear basically, which works for me. Cause that was how my mom did it. And she was like, someone needs to hear what you have to say. Who are you to deny that shit? fucking t- talk to that person. And I'd be like, oh, I could talk to that person. I don't, I can't right. talk to these 10 people because there's probably only 11 in the audience, but I could talk to that one person. And it made it, she was like, fuck you. 
get out there. Someone has to hear what you have to say. Who are you to do? like Brene Brown says or whoever, Marianne Williamson, whatever those fucking, you know, those smart white ladies say about like, you know, like who are you to deny your talent? Who are you? Like, no. And so yeah, I was like, don't, oh, yeah, don't, don't, don't keep your light under a barrel. Is that what this expression is? I, I like that better. Don't get yeah. your monkeys in a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> don't deny Put the monkeys that light. in a barrel. I have the light on the light where it belongs. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.